Open up your Bibles to John 16. We've been in a series now for a number of months, and we're going to begin here in the 16th chapter and pick up and kind of review where we were at last week and then move forward. We've been talking from the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th chapter about what Jesus taught, you know, like a day or two before he left. Basically, he knew he was going to die, and so these were his final instructions, how to operate as a Christian, as a believer, when he left. And so, he's still gone. Some people are not sure. If he, if you hear he's somewhere, you know, somebody posted a picture recently, or a little bit back, in Palm Springs, and Jesus was at Starbucks. Well, it was somebody who was dressed up for something, was sitting there at Starbucks. He looked like, he said, Jesus likes Starbucks. Well, no, he's not there. Amen? But he's in heaven, and he's going to come back someday, and so he's not here. And when people start saying, he's here, or he's there, he showed up, we know from the Bible the only way to believe it's him is when he comes in the air. Not when he shows up on the earth. Everybody will see him in the air. You with me? And so John 16, he basically gave instruction of how to live until he returned. He has not returned, so these instructions are for today. And we'll go ahead and pick back up and review because we're going to go a little bit deeper than we went last week. John 16, we're going to read verse 5 through 11. And remember, these are things Jesus was trying to get across to us so we knew how to lean, depend, look to him, so on. Verse 5, it says, But now I go away, John 16, 5, to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things, to you sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. Let that sink in. So he said, you're all upset. And there's still people upset that they are not living when Jesus lived. And this instruction goes to us. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. Thankfully, he didn't say it's going to be a disadvantage. He said that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. If I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9, of sin, because they do not believe on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and see you no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this age is judged. Now, we went into this last week and talked about this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the lost world. You with me? Because notice what he said there. He said, verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I depart. Verse 8, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Convict the who? The world. 
of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then it says of sin, he will convict you guilty of sin because why? They do not believe in me. So if you notice there, when we share Jesus, we don't have to persuade people per se. We need to tell them and recognize one of the responsibilities of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict them. That means guilty. In other words, why? Because Jesus paid to free people from sin. And if you don't believe in him, you're still in your sin. And then it goes on to say of righteousness, because I go to my Father and see you no more. Well, we looked at that and realized last week when he talked about going to the Father and of righteousness, he's the only way that a human being can be right with the Father. In this age, before he returns, it's the only way. And the Spirit will work to convict people who don't know Jesus. But here's the thing, they have to hear. Because if you just felt guilty all the time, but didn't know why you were guilty, you couldn't solve that problem. Right? But So if we just pray, Lord, convict the world, but they don't know the answer, they'll go, well, I'm convicted, but what? You understand? And so he said, and of judgment, the third thing, because the ruler of this world has been judged. In other words, Satan was defeated when Christ died and then rose again. And really, we don't have to be bound by him anymore, and the world does not have to be bound by him anymore. We can come into the kingdom of Jesus. So in review of sin because they don't believe, but payment has been made, convict them because I've gone to be with the Father. I'm the way to be right with God. Nobody could come to God before this. Nobody. Nobody could just go and pray to God and be in right standing on their own. And so, but every believer has the right and privilege by this gift that we receive in Christ to stand right before him without a sense of guilt and without a sense of condemnation because that's what would make us inferior to stand before him and he paid the price. Your good deeds don't pay the price. Nobody's good deeds pay the price. So we have never met and nobody will ever meet anybody in the world that's just good enough to stand up before God and say, here I am. You got to talk to me. You got, hey, I'm perfect. I'm good enough. Nobody. So you need the gift. You need Jesus. And so we talked about how the world is in this dire strait and Jesus mentioned, I am the only way to the Father. I'm the only way earlier on. And we talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.18 how this ministry of reconciling the world, even though Jesus paid for it, has been given to us, the church. In other words, many people want to know, you know, what kind of ministry do I have? 
what kind of ministry do I have? This is the premier ministry that everybody has. Nobody can say, I don't have this, unless you're not saved. Somebody said, well, they do better than me. Maybe because they say something. And maybe some people have developed and gotten better. But there's nobody that when you get to an accident, you know, if you're at a scene and you see an accident in an intersection and, and you wait for the police to come, right? Right? If you are And then they'll say this, if you've ever been there, did you see it happen? You ever been there? Did you see it happen? And what happens when they say, when you say, no, I didn't see it happen? leave. You're out of here. I've had that happen. Then other times I've said, I saw it. And they'll say, stay here. Why? They want to hear. But you know what they ask me? How much do you know? Are you real smart? No, they just go, what did you see? What did you experience? And here's the thing, the ministry of reconciliation or getting people back to God, we just tell what we have. We tell Jesus paid for it, I received the gift, we invite, we bring, we let them get in this atmosphere, we let God deal with them through his word, and then they can surrender to Jesus too. But that is our ministry. Um, let's read these verses again. Verse 16.5 and 16.10. He said, but now I go away to him. Notice that phrase, now I go away to him who sent me. So before he went back to him, he had come from him. Let me say that again. But now I go away to him who sent me. There's a lot in there. I'm going back. You know, we can say we're going back east because we live in the west and not have to have been there before. But when somebody says, I'm going back to the store, and this is the last time, please give me a list, that means they were there before and we, we didn't get everything on the list, and please. Well, he said, I'm going back. I could see that touched a chord in people. You do have to forgive when they don't give everything on the list. 70 times 7, so it may happen a lot, I know. But he said, but now I go away to him who sent me. I go away, or you could say, I'm going back to where I was before to him who sent me. Notice verse 10, and of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Notice that phrase, I go back to him. I'm going back to the Father. Before he had ever said, I'm going back, he was there from the beginning. This whole thing that we're talking about, about the Spirit's work convicting, is really in regard to Jesus and what he had bought or was paying for and planning and so let's go to John 1. John 1, the first chapter, and we'll begin reading in the first verse. Now he said, I go away to him who sent me. I'm going back again. I'm returning. 
Notice this, verse 1 of John 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word. Notice they, they capitalized that. Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They're separate, but they're one. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, verse 2, He who? He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. The Word is called He, and the Word is called Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. So notice, in the beginning, the Word was with God. You know, your word has been with you. And notice this, though. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is different than anybody because we were born of human seeds, reproduction. But it's interesting, if you read the book of Hebrews, it says, when Jesus came, it said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. So Jesus was the word that took on a body. He actually was God in the flesh who had been with God, who was clothed upon with a body. He was sinless and spotless, and he was carrying out this great plan to get man back to himself. In other words, that's what Jesus was doing. The purpose of Jesus being here was not so that we could just have more friends. That we could have church just for us. But it was so that all of mankind could come to know Jesus and come to know the Father. And he did it in such a way, this work, that he said, when I leave, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit here. And one of the first things I'm telling you that he's going to do, if he brings this forth first, but we've got it forth, we may need to shuffle the cards. You know what I mean? Because sometimes... We can have the right things in our lives, and we kind of go, I've got this in my life, I've got this in my life, I've got this in my life, and got this. In other words, I, I uh, give in the church, I serve, I love my family, and I tell people. But it's interesting that the first thing he puts is the reconciliation and the dealing of a lost and dying world as the first thing he introduces does he want your family to have peace? Peace on earth. Yes, not just in heaven. He'd like that. But here's the big thing. If there's going to be some turmoil, and it doesn't need to be, but it's only a short time. But a lost person who doesn't come to know the Lord, that's forever. And ever, and ever, and ever. And we can't always comprehend what forever is because we live in a time society. You know, we've got watches, 
We've got phones that have watches. We have computers that have watches. Your TVs now usually will have a little time stamp when you turn it on and, and all kinds. Your microwave has a timer on it, a clock on it. Your stove has a clock on it. Your refrigerator's got one. This is no joke. You can pretty much go to every open space wall in my house or place in my house and you will see a clock. Serious. On purpose, like when you walk in my front door, you see up the stairs right there at the top of the thing, there's a clock. But if you walk by and you turn back to the front door, there's a clock. So it's anywhere you're sitting in the couch, you know, you can see it. Then when you walk into the kitchen, you look to the left and there's a clock. If you go further to the sink and turn around, there's a clock. They're on the microwave, they're on, you know, they're all over the place. And... Um, then if you go into the family room, there's a clock. And you can pretty much look anywhere and there's a clock. And when you get up to the top of my stairs, there's a, there's a loft area. It's an office. And right at the head of the wall, there's a clock. And we live in a society where, well, time. You know, it, we just have plenty of time. But someday, Time will end as we know it, and eternity, which will last forever, it won't ever run out. It'll just go and go and go, and there's no way to look and see the end, because it will never be an end. It's a different realm than we live in today, but so many people think, well, we've always got tomorrow to reach people, and we've always got next year to reach people, and tell my friends, and how many times has that not worked in our favor? And so... We see here that he was working this plan of redemption. It was such a big deal to him. He came in the flesh, was clothed on with a body. So when we looked at Jesus, we saw a God-man. We saw a God-man. A man that was God, but not functioning as God. Functioning as a man so he could be tempted like us so he could identify with us, and then eventually lived perfect his whole life, and then bore the sin of the world. Turn to 1 Peter 2. And God was working this whole plan. And so when Jesus said, I'm going back to my Father, he was basically saying, the work that I came to accomplish is going to be finished, and now we're going to have to pick up the work. In other words, nobody could get saved until he died and rose again. And so he had to train the people that would be left here, which would include us, to reach the lost because he paid for the lost. You with me? So, 1 Timothy. Did I say Peter? You guys all heard wrong. No, I'm kidding. 1 first, first Timothy said, and they heard them speak in tongues and said, what did they say? You guys heard me. That wasn't tongues, though. I just said it wrong. First Peter, I said, first Timothy is where I want to go. First Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God. There's one. There's not three gods. There's not five. But one God manifests in three persons. And we saw Jesus, God in the flesh, come, but he left. And when he left, it says, for there is one God 
and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting he calls him the man, Christ Jesus? Why is he called the man, Christ Jesus? Because when he died and rose again, he kept his body. It was changed, transformed. He lives in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God in a transformed, transfigured human body. He paid such a price, he's bound to that body forever. But he did it, and it says, and I go to the Father, and you see me no more? He is up there representing humanity. The price he paid, everything he bought. And notice he's called the mediator. No wonder he said, there's nobody who can come to the Father except through me. What is a mediator? You know, the Bible said in Galatians 3.20, he said, a mediator is not one and does not plead just for one, you know, for himself. But he said, God's one. It's interesting. God did this and became the mediator for humanity to get man back to himself. And a mediator is literally a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. They are a go-between. Somebody said a conflict. Yeah, sin was the conflict that separated humanity from God. And everybody fell under the same curse when Adam and Eve sinned. It literally means one who mediates between two parties with a view in producing peace. Isn't it interesting Romans said that when Christ rose from the dead, he made peace between God and man? And we say peace on earth during the Christmas time and stuff like that. Why is there peace? It doesn't just mean peace. It means the absence of hostility between two parties. Jesus mediated the release of this hostility. But somebody said, I didn't know I was hostile toward God. No, it's your nature. Everybody's nature that is lost is a hostile nature. It's a contrary one. When you get saved, you become a new creation. You're no longer hostile. You're no longer different. You actually get his life and his standing in Christ. You with me? We experience that. We have the other side taken care of, meaning heaven. What about the world? You see people today killing themselves with suicide in the droves. They just feel like there's no hope. You know the dangerous side to that is? They don't have hope. They don't know Jesus. The enemy pounds them, you know, because when you're messed up inside, it plays out in life, and you got a bunch of empty people, and he's out there condemning them, and he just says, well, you ought to, and they don't realize it's him. They just think they're coming up with the idea. Go kill yourself. Go kill yourself. Go kill yourself. Because the enemy knows if they kill themselves, they're bound. There is no redemption for them. I had a friend who is a missionary, and uh, he had to do a checkup at this office, doctor's office. So he was in there, and he said he was sitting on the table, and the Lord dealt with him. You need to deal with this doctor. You need to witness to him. You need to tell him. And he started arguing, why? He's got everything together in his life. He said, oh, oh, Lord, you know, anybody ever had an argument with God before? 
since you were saved? This week? Maybe for some? And he just said, oh, Lord, I don't want to say nothing. This guy's got everything, you know, drives a nice car, lives in, you know, I mean, he's, he's a doctor. I'm, I'm this old skinny guy who's going over here. And he's, he just argued and kind of reasoned his way out and said, and then he left and the Lord kept dealing with him. He said, well, if I have to go back and see him, I'll tell him later. Three days later, the guy kills himself. God knew the enemy was working on that dude. And that guy is empty. Because could you imagine having the money of maybe what a doctor might make and thinking I've arrived. I'm helping people and I can't even help myself. You with me? And, he, and, and this guy's there and he had an opportunity. That guy needed to be reconciled to God. You with me? And so here he says that Jesus is the mediator. He's one, this is another definition of a mediator. And we have to introduce people to the mediator. We call him the Savior. We call him God. He's Jesus. It literally one, one who acts as a guarantee so as to secure something which otherwise would not be obtained. There's no obtaining whatsoever what Jesus paid for on our own. And that's true with the world. And instead of trying to argue with them, we can just tell them. We can bring them and then let the Lord argue with them. That's a good thing because it's not a voice out here. It's the Lord dealing with their heart. I like that. We've had people come and say, you know, when you start preaching, I, 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 feel con I feel like convicted, like, you know, and they're not saved, and I don't, I don't say, you know, much to them, let them talk. I, I just feel convicted. Praise the Lord. If you hear somebody start telling you, man, I talk to you, I feel convicted. Oh, well, you shouldn't. Quit it. Maybe the Holy Spirit's working on them. Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, okay. You're the expert to them. No, let them be convicted. Let them be acquitted. The only way you get acquitted and become unguilty is when you receive Christ. You with me? And then you're no longer guilty. As a matter of fact, that's why we hear the word justified and made righteous all through the Bible. Remember, we read last week the introduction, words that a lost person should hear, and when they're coming in, is he made him to be sin for you so that you could become in right standing with him and through him. And so, man, the world, we don't let up on them. Now, don't go around going, you're guilty, you're guilty. You know, don't go walking around with a sign burning, you're going to, you know, they're not going to probably listen to you. But we can tell people, we can bring people, and then let the Lord do the work. And He absolutely will. If you do your part, He'll do His part. You with me? He will. He's, his first role in this set of scriptures in John 16 to the believer 
is really, or the work he's going to do through us, is to convict people. Notice this, and we'll read this verse again. We read it last week, 2 Corinthians. I made mention of it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. We know the Bible said he bore our sins. When he declares somebody righteous or justified, I like this. I heard this years ago. And, and justified and righteous are virtually the same word. Justified means, and, and I heard this, and I thought, that, that helps. Means just like I'd never sinned. When you get justified by the Lord, he makes it appear like you never sinned. Now, the enemy will gladly remind you of your sins. He's called the accuser of the brethren. But you need to recognize just because he accuses you doesn't mean you're guilty. How many people have got out of court and they got set free and the judge said not guilty? We just had a major thing a couple months back about a Supreme Court person. They investigated. They said there's no evidence. Matter of fact, two of the people are backing up hard and one doesn't want anything to do with it because of the fact that their witnesses said what they said is not so. I'm not trying to prove a case. I'm just explaining this. When that person left after they were told it's you're innocent, how many people protested and said, you're guilty? And still are saying, you're guilty. What if God's the one who said, you're not guilty, and thoughts go, you're guilty? Then you need to resist those things and recognize the accuser of the brethren accuses people. Now, I'm talking to a believer. But could you imagine there's a world out there that needs their sins remitted, removed? All they need is an invitation. There are people that are searching. If God will convict and deal with them, then I would think he's been working on people behind the scenes. Maybe they just think, I'm destitute, there's got to be more to life. And he's prepping the world because he works with us. Notice this 2 Corinthians 5, verse uh, 18. It says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us or returned us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice God did the work, we have the ministry. Do you understand that God gives us responsibilities that we will be accountable for someday? Do you know that? Whether nobody does them or everybody does it, we'll all individually be accountable for this. He said he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This is it. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or adding up, holding their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Here is that word. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You know, an ambassador is one who's representing a foreign country. Or, uh, you know, if, if I'm an ambassador from, say, Mexico, I'm representing that country here doing its work in the absence of that government or in place of that government. Isn't that true? And But we're ambassadors for a different government, the king of kings. 
and Lord of Lords. And until he comes back and takes possession back of the earth, we're ambassadors, sent ones. Now then, you're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through you, through you or through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The world needs to know this. And this is our ministry. One thing we need to recognize is Jesus was adamant about this being the first thing he recognized. It's a topic he brought up again and again and said, listen, when you go to do this, um, the Holy Spirit will work with you. If we're a failure, it's not because God failed us. Maybe we just haven't told people. You with me? And then when we invite or bring people, we should expect, don't freak out like, uh-oh, you know, what if Sister Lulu over there starts crying and acting crazy? Who cares? I know this, when I first came to a church and God was moving, I did not understand everything that was going on. And I remember leaving thinking, what just happened there? Serious. I did. And it wasn't super wild. I went to a prayer group. That was wild. In ways it shouldn't have been. But I was like, I was there and thinking, man, I was looking at people and they sang a song, I bowed down. I still remember this girl bowed down. I said, whoa, I've never seen that before. And I lift my voice and she just started crying. I was like over here going, woohoo, what's going on there? Then they're like, let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. I was like, I ain't doing such a thing right now. I was looking. Now, I was saved. I'd been saved or rededicated my life about three weeks before. And I'm like, but I was hungry. And I remember when I left and the girl I was dating at that time said, what would you think of that? I thought, I thought I got a lot of thoughts. I don't know which ones I should say. I had to put it, I had to kind of take it home like Halloween candy and dump it out on the table. See what, what was there. You know what I mean? You like pour it out, separate these from this. And when I separated everything when I got home, this is my conclusion. I said, whatever it was, it's more of what I've been looking for. I don't know how and why they do what they do. And I don't know why that girl doesn't buy waterproof makeup. And cries like that. These were conclusions I came to. I don't understand that. I don't know why she knelt. I don't know why she cried. I don't know why these people did this. I don't know why what, what was going on. But that's what I'm looking for right there. And people were trying to go, oh, it's cool, you know, be careful. And they didn't have to say that. I knew this is what I was looking for. It was curious to me, but I knew it was what I was looking for. I knew it. You know why? God dealt with me, and we need to depend on him.